Welcome to the AAK podcast brought to you by All About Kids, the leading provider of children's therapeutic and educational services in New York. This podcast will dive deep into discussions on children's developmental needs and the stories of parents and other adults who have dealt with developmental disorders. Each conversation on this show is an extension of our mission to create a world where all children have access to intervention, allowing them to live a full and rich life without restriction, where parents have access to the information and training they need to support their child's therapy and special education needs, and where disabilities, therapy, and special education can be openly discussed without stigma. This time, I sit down with Carrie Clark, a speech therapist and the founder of speechandlanguagekids.com, where speech pathologists go for answers. On this episode, Carrie discusses her work supporting SLPs and making sure people have access to services, what bugs her about the speech therapy industry, the teletherapy takeover during the coronavirus shutdown, and more. Without further ado, please enjoy this deep dive with Carrie Clark. Again, thank you for taking the time to hop on the podcast. I I thought a good place to start would be speech and language kids because that's actually how I came across your platform when I was doing research for possible guests for the podcast. So would you be able to enlighten people on how speech and language kids started and what does your platform do? Sure. So I am a speech language pathologist myself. That is my training and background. And I started the speech and language kids website when I was working in the schools. So I was a speech language pathologist in early childhood, working with three through five-year-olds. And I started off just kind of blogging about what I was doing in my therapy room. And I specifically made the resources so that they were parent-friendly. So that if a parent was wondering how to teach a specific skill, uh, that they could follow along and see how I teach it when I'm in the therapy room. So I started Mm -hmm. just kind of by blogging about what I was doing and after a while, I found out that I had, I did have a lot of parents that were following me, but I also had a lot of other speech language pathologists. And what I came to realize is that I seem to have a very natural ability to take a complex skill and break it down into a step-by-step plan in terms of how to teach it. So that's what the other speech language pathologists started following me for was so that they could very quickly and easily grab my step-by-step plan and implement that in their therapy sessions. Because if you know anything about speech language mm-hmm. pathologists, you know that we're incredibly overworked. <laughs> so most of us have large yeah, caseloads of kids. Yeah, <laughs> we have large caseloads of kids that we're trying to help all at once. And so it really helps to be able to have something you can kind of grab and go with in therapy. So that's kind of where we started, but we've evolved to supporting parents and speech language pathologists in all kinds of different ways. I've heard that if you're not eating lunch in your car while crying at the same time, you're not really a speech pathologist. (laughs) That sounds about right. (laughs) You made a a good point about being able to break complex ideas down and present them simply. I I think in any platform, um, especially speech pathology, that's a a huge in-demand skill and even something in my own life that I'm constantly working on. I'll, I'll think that I'll have an idea all planned out. And when it's in my head, it sounds so much better than it actually is. And then when someone asks me to explain it, then I can't even I can't even find the words. And there's a saying that goes, if you can't explain it to a five year old, then you have to work on explaining it better to yourself or something like that. So I I definitely think it's good to be able to communicate clearly. Right, for sure. For sure. So 
with everything going on with the the coronavirus pandemic and for people that are maybe listening to this in the future, this is April 1st, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, April 1st, April Fool's Day. So we're yeah. in the midst of the, the pandemic. The biggest joke ever. <laughs> yeah, the biggest joke. I saw something on Twitter about canceling April Fool's just because it would like subtract from the already. Yeah, I mean, nothing could be as big on. as this. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so with so with the current pandemic, how how have things kind of shifted in your your focus and with other people that you're in contact with in the in the speech therapy community? How how are things changing to adjust to the new environment? Yeah. So, uh, in short, it's a hot mess right now. <laughs> is what's mm-hmm. going on? What we're seeing is all around the world, schools are shutting down, clinics are shutting down. No one's able to actually do in-person therapy anymore, um, except for a few isolated places at this point. Those will soon be shut down, I'm mm-hmm. sure, as well. So what we're seeing is kind of this mad scramble of everyone trying at once to figure out how to support children with speech and language problems uh, in this new reality of this pandemic. So um it's it's a huge, huge problem. When we look at our children with speech and language needs, if their school is being shut down, a lot of these schools are transitioning to online learning, which mm-hmm. sounds great in theory. But when you think about what that means for our children with communication problems, some of those children may not be able to be uh, benefit from the learning that's happening online because of their communication disorders. So maybe they have listening problems. Maybe they don't understand what's being said to them. Maybe they have trouble focusing and paying attention. Maybe if they're not up and moving a lot, then they're going to have trouble with their behavior. So we see all of these things happening where these children are getting services in the schools to accommodate for those needs. And when we go to these online learning platforms, they're just not able to get those needs met. Mm -hmm. And then in addition to that, we're seeing that they're not able to get their therapy minutes, whether that's because the state hasn't authorized teletherapy, which there's a lot of states that haven't yet, or because the school district isn't set up to do it. Maybe the clients, the, the kids themselves are not set up to do it because they don't have access to the internet. They don't have parents home that can sit down and work with them. Um, and then in addition to that, we have just that these parents are under-equipped. You know, we go to school for years to learn how to do all of these strategies. And now all mm-hmm. of a sudden we're going to say, okay, well, you guys get to do the speech therapy at home. So good luck with that, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so yeah. what we as a profession are feeling is this intense need of, hey, we got to help these kids so they don't fall farther behind their peers during this break but we don't know how. And so we're all scrambling and trying to figure this out together and figure it out as quickly as we can so we can support our our clients and our families. So that's kind of what my business has focused on for these last couple of weeks is showing other speech language pathologists how we can do teletherapy, sharing resources that we can use for teletherapy, and then getting as much information and resources to parents as we can. So Going to the the therapist side in the the short time that we've had to adjust to this pandemic, what are some of those resources specifically or or maybe some areas to focus on that may be undervalued in teletherapy that you think therapists should should spend more time doing or spend more time learning that may help the transition? 
Yeah. I think the big thing right now is focusing on parent training and parent support. Because what we're looking at here is not, you're not sitting down and saying, you know, this child would be a great candidate for teletherapy. What we're saying is, holy smokes, every child now has to do teletherapy. Mm -hmm. So instead of focusing on, okay, how can we do the best therapy possible? And how can we, how can we take this child from where he is to completely caught up using teletherapy? We need to say, how can we get through this crisis? So right now, the best thing that we can do is be working with these families, asking them, how are you doing? What is your biggest challenge right now? Because yeah, this child might have an IEP goal that says he needs to work on past tense verbs. But if that family isn't even sure if they're going to have enough food to get through the week, then we don't need to be working on past tense verbs. (laughs) That's not the biggest concern right now. We need to be working on connecting that family with the resources that they need to be able to feed their children and have shelter and feel safe then we can start working on some of these other things. Um, So I think a lot of it needs to be just stopping and thinking about where is this child and this family in real life? Where where are they struggling and helping them with that? And if that is something that falls in our domain, if they're having trouble with behavior and communication and those kinds of things, absolutely, we step in and we help. But if not, then we're, we're helping connect them to other people because we may have access as professionals to services and resources that they don't know exist. So I think, you know, in, in the ideal world, we would be able to really focus on all of these speech and language skills that they need in our teletherapy sessions. But that's just not where we are as a world right now. We're all in a crisis. So um, just supporting our families as best as we can through that and then helping give them the tools and the strategies that they need to get through that day and help support their children as well. Yeah, and there are a lot of techniques and and in-person things that you do as a a therapist. And I'm not a a therapist myself, but but I work in marketing at All About Kids who provides speech therapy amongst other forms of therapy. But, Mm -hmm. But it just seems like through teletherapy, it's extremely limited in many ways and and you can't you can kind of mimic some of the things you could do in, in an in-person session but you can't completely replicate it and then there's yeah. also a lot of uh, a lot of therapists that are going on zoom and skype that weren't necessarily built for speech therapy and, and mm-hmm. I know a lot of companies are in the process of onboarding into programs that are, are specialized in speech therapy that have more interactive displays and things like that. But for, you know, probably hundreds of thousands of therapists right now, they're just getting acclimated to giving therapy sessions over Zoom and Skype and, and kind of in a, you know, hectic, like what the hell is going on right now? So, <laughs> so I feel I feel for therapists. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a challenge. And I think that's where working closely with the parents comes in because you can get on a, a zoom call, a zoom call and talk with those parents and say, Hey, you know, your child really needs to work on expanding his sentence length. So here's some strategies that you can use at home throughout your day. That'll help do that. You know, here's how to use an expansion. Here's how to do parallel talk. So we can train those parents on how to use some strategies at home that will help their child even if we can't get that child to sit down at a screen and, you know, drill and practice words with us. For for the parent side of the equation, I, I know a lot of parents are probably, uh, you know, no doubt they're, they're still adjusting to 
kids being at home constantly and, and some parents may be able to work at home. Some parents may still be essential workers and going out every day. From the teletherapy perspective, what are some things that parents can hone in and focus on for when their children aren't actually getting services? Because most of the time it's going to be parents with their children offline working on the things that they learned in teletherapy. So what are some things or resources parents can look to or or cultivate to ease the the burden of the transition? Yeah. So I would say, and I'm saying this as a parent myself of two young boys, um, I would say prioritize your sanity and your safety and your your mental health right now. Because you know, like I said, past tense verbs, not our biggest problem. Your child will get caught up. We can, we can get them caught up once we get through this. The most important thing is that you are safe, you are healthy, and that your child feels safe and healthy. I know in, uh, in, my, ho- in my own home, we are trying to prioritize stress reduction because we mm-hmm. are all so incredibly stressed out. And I have children with some special needs and it's hard just getting through the day, just keeping my children from killing each other. Mm -hmm. It's so hard. And it is okay for us to say, you know what, we're going to let this other piece go for a little while and just prioritize connecting with our family in a loving way where we're not just constantly yelling at each other. And if, if doing your speech work is causing that extra amount of stress, then it's not worth it right now. We can always come back to these things later. However, If that is something that you uh, want to be working on and you feel that your stress would be reduced by helping your child because then you're worrying less about them getting caught up, um, one of the best things you can do is read to your child. Just sit down and read books. You can read to them. They can read to you if they're older kids, but just make it a low stress activity where you can connect. And the research really shows that working, that reading books is one of the best indicators for future language development. So just read to your child, talk with your child, talk about what's going on in the world, talk about what you see around the house, go on a nature walk and talk about that. Just using language the best we can, that's enough right now. So don't feel like you have to go do all of these crazy, fun speech language activities you find on Pinterest. Just prioritize connecting with your family, read some books, talk, sing songs, that kind of stuff. Yeah, that makes sense because I imagine if you're not feeling calm or or level-headed that even if you do find these good practices and and even if you're using the best information, it would be hard for you and your kid to absorb them and actually take something away from it if you feel like you're going insane or you're, you know, (laughs) you can't, you can't, you can't even find some sort of peace in your own house. Yeah. And I think especially with all of the demands that are being placed on families right now from the online education and from the schools. I mean, props to the schools for trying to support our students and and keep them learning. But there's a lot. It's a lot on parents, especially if they're trying to work from home, especially if they're stuck in a situation that they're not used to being in. I mean, I'm not used to homeschooling my children. I'm not used to being with them all day, every day. Mm -hmm. And I still have to run a business too, you know? So I think, I think we all just need to take a breath and take a step back and really focus on what is the biggest priority right now. And let's worry about all the rest of it once things calm down. I'm from a family of five and, and four of my family members are, are currently at home in, in Long Island, New York, and I'm in my apartment still in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're, we're all adults. Like my youngest brother is 
turning 25 this year. So we're all 25 and up. And even the four people in my family that are still in the same house are going crazy. And, and they're all <laughs> <Right>? adults. <laughs> It's still, it sounds like it's still pretty good, but having four people all working from home in the same house oh, yeah. can get can get a little bit of hectic. And even my mom is like, are you sure you don't want to come home? I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, this, I do, I do want to see you guys, but like this apartment by myself is so nice. Like I, yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of enjoying it right now, right. even though I do miss my family. If my sure. mom's listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> yes, right. Yeah. Shout out to mom there. <laughs> I'll come home eventually, mom. Yeah. <laughs> I guess this is, this is more for this the speech therapy industry in general. What's something that bugs you about the speech therapy industry, like the business side of it? Ooh, the industry as a whole? Mm-hmm. I would have to say probably the bureaucracy that happens, especially when you are working in the schools, because um, I mean, you're essentially working for the government at that point. There's a lot of challenges in working in a school setting because there is a very limited budget and there's very few of us to go around. So what ends up happening is that we end up with very large caseloads. Like I mentioned earlier, we mm-hmm. have um, I have a membership program over on our website at slpsolution.com. And uh, those are speech language pathologists that are members and they get resources. Mm-hmm. Some of our members over there have more than 100 kids that they see on a weekly basis. And that is insane. Wow. It's insane to even keep track of, of 100 different kids and what they're all working on, let alone to see all of them. Mm-hmm. So we end up with with these really large caseloads, not enough time to plan or prep for those therapy sessions. And then our field just encompasses so much. We cover everything from stuttering to speech to language to voice problems to swallowing that falls in our field for some reason so there's all Mm -hmm. of these areas that we're expected to be experts in and then when you have these high caseloads you don't have enough time to plan you don't have enough time for your continuing ad and then on top of that the government in order to try to save some money will say okay well this child has to be this delayed before we're able to provide services so then we put that on the SLPs that they're expected to tell the parents, oh, yeah, your child is delayed, but not enough for us to help. Yeah, that's an awkward conversation. Yeah. And I've had that before and it never goes well. <laughs> so it's a lot of stress that ends up being put, especially on our speech language pathologists that work in schools. And they're being paid the same as teacher salaries, which everybody knows teacher salaries are not enough to live on. So it's just a very high demand job for such little pay. And so, you know, the people that do end up doing it, we are in it for those kids. We love those kids and we want to support them. And I, I just, it's hard. It's a hard job, but, but we do it because we love the kids. And I understand that there has to be cutoffs, but it is an awkward kind of backwards (laughs) thing to say, okay, yeah, your kids, your kids delayed, but you know, he's going to need to get a little bit more delayed before he gets services. (laughs) You're going to have to hold hold him back a little bit more. So that's, uh, that seems a little backwards. that's the way that the the system is working right now. So it's unfortunate. So th- th- this kind of goes off the that last question with the industry as a whole. If you could make policy, policymakers in speech therapy industry and government understand one thing better that they don't understand now, what would that be? It would be the demands on the on the professionals. We need more funding for special education in general. You know, obviously, I'm focused on the the communication and the speech language pathology aspect of that. 
I mean, it's all of, it's all of our, our therapies and our special education. It's not funded enough. And if we could get to these children earlier and provide services before they reach that really low cutoff, (laughs) if we could provide Mm -hmm. that when they're just a little bit behind, we would spend so much less time and money on getting those children caught up. And so I think early intervention needs to be a bigger priority and we just need to be able to fund enough therapists to be able to provide those services and get those children caught up before it's too late. With with so many people switching over to teletherapy now, and, and you mentioned that there are only a few areas left in the U.S. that are having in-person cases, what mistakes are therapists likely to make switching to teletherapy and what should they do to stop making it? I think the biggest mistake is not trying at this point. We're all going to screw up here. We're all going to do terrible teletherapy sessions because none of us, not well, most of us have never done this before. Most of us are, are trying out new platforms and we're fumbling our way through it. But I think the important thing is just to try and to let our families know that we're trying because the last thing we want is for our families to feel like they're not supported during this. So I say just try something. Obviously, you want to make sure if you're in the United States that you're following HIPAA compliance and that you're protecting privacy. And that includes making sure you're using a compliant platform. You obviously don't want to be just hopping on a FaceTime call that's not HIPAA secure. So make sure that you're using a HIPAA compliant platform, but just try, just hop on. And even if your your first session is just, hey, how are you? Show me something in your house. Like what's going on? I've never been in your house. You know, just yeah, show me around. Yeah, just connecting with that family in whatever way you can. I think that's the best thing that we can do. And then if you are not able to connect, you know, and, and try that teletherapy or connect with your families, then going to your your boss, your administrator, your state and saying, hey, we, I got to advocate for these kids here because they're not getting their services. Like either I have too many kids that I can't see them all via teletherapy or our state doesn't allow teletherapy. So let's go to our, our lawmakers and ask them to push through a teletherapy bill so that we can see people. You know, so if you can't do that, if you can't support your families, then start advocating for them. So this is question on a very general level because kids are dealing with different disorders and communication abilities. But on on a, I guess, a bird's eye view, what are some characteristics that would define a good teletherapy session for therapists that may not be familiar or, or just switching to it? What are some things that may stand out that they know that a teletherapy session went well? Okay. So uh, when you think about teletherapy, It should be very similar to the therapy sessions that you're already doing. And this is, I think, the part where a lot of our therapists are getting freaked out and they need to just stop and breathe (laughs) again Mm -hmm. because we know what to do. We know how to do therapy. You just have to tweak things a little bit to make them online. So if you think about like in a normal speech therapy session, like an average one, if there is such a thing, you would be sitting down with some therapy materials and you'd have the child practicing some skill or another. And then in between, once they start to lose focus, you would do something fun, like a game or a movement activity or something to keep them engaged. And then you'd come back and practice that skill again. So that's generally how therapy sessions work. And it's perfectly easy to do that online as well with a few modifications. So your therapy materials are gonna need to be on the computer. So like, for example, in our membership 
we have a digital curriculum where you can just pull up a worksheet on your computer and just share your screen. And then the child can see what you see and they can say the words or do the skill or whatever it is they're supposed to do. Then once they start to lose interest and you need that engagement piece, then you just open up a new tab while you're sharing your screen and you can go play an online game with them. You can watch a clip from a video on YouTube. Obviously, screen those first. <laughs> Make sure they're yeah. okay. Or you know, you can you can engage in, in other kinds of conversation. You can have them show you something in their house. There's all kinds of different ways that you can keep them engaged. You just have to kind of think about how can we do this online. So it's, um, we actually put together a Pinterest board. If you go to Pinterest and search for SLP solution, there's a Pinterest board on our page. That's the teletherapy one. And it's got some ideas for different games and activities. It also has our resources on how to do teletherapy. So if you are a speech language pathologist and looking for that, we've got that. And then, you know, there's tons of free worksheets over on speechandlanguagekids.com. Those are either for parents or SLPs. So anyone can grab those as well. Perfect. Yeah, we'll link that to the the podcast description as well. So before we uh, hopped on and, and started talking, you had we had emailed back and forth a little bit, and you mentioned that forty million Americans have communication disorders. Yeah, which is which is a crazy number, right? <laughs> it yeah. is. It is. If you can make one change in the the speech therapy industry to help more people have access to services and, and better services, what change would you want to make? It, it could be a structural change, like getting rid of paperwork or something like that, or it could be an attitudinal change in the way people approach it. What, what would you want to do if you could just wave a wand and make one change? Okay, so I actually have a kind of a three-pronged approach, so I'm going <laughs> to change oh, yeah, the question for to Perfect. three. <laughs> three. Use the three-pronged wand. Yes, the three-pronged wand. <laughs> I think that when we look at this problem, we have 40 million Americans with communication disorders and we have not enough speech language pathologists to go around. I think the last time I looked at the numbers, if if every speech language pathologist that had a job in the United States had to see all 40 million of those people's people, our caseloads would be like 260 people per, per SLP, which basically so, there's a lot of lunches and cars. Yeah. Right. I mean, that basically just means that there's a lot of people not getting support and services. So I think that the way we fix that problem is three things. The first one is supporting our speech language pathologists. We need to, like I said, we need to provide the funding for them to have jobs to, for those people to get training. Um, and for those people to have the resources they need to do their jobs efficiently and effectively. And so that's what we provide over at slpsolution.com. The second thing is providing parents with resources to help prevent some of these problems in the first place. And that includes identifying problems when the kids are young and also having language resources that they can use to support their language development of their children as they're aging. And that's something that we provide over at speechandlanguagekids.com with all of our mm -hmm. free parent resources. And then I think the third thing is looking at those underserved populations of children. Um, I should have pulled the numbers, but I know that there are certain, most of the minorities that you would, the common minorities that you would think of are underserved in terms of who actually ends up getting therapy services. And so I think that we could all work together better as a community to create scholarship funds and to make sure that those children in those minority groups and the low socioeconomic status kiddos 
that they're able to get access to services as well, because it's super important that we're, we work together as a community to fix this problem and not just accept the fact that there are so many people in our country and around the world who struggle every day just with basic communication. That sounds like a great plan. It's a powerful wand. We're going to see. We're going to work on it. <laughs> we got a little sidetracked with the, the corona thing. <laughs> now we're working on that piece. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, if, there, if there's one positive outcome of the the current pandemic situation. It's that people have actually started using social media and, and the internet to to be social and, and find more ways to to help people and come together. And and teletherapy is a big part of that because you're you're able to, you know, if this was 30, 40 years ago with with no internet, there would be a lot of kids that are out of luck, not being able to get any services at all. So if there if there's a silver lining, I guess it's that the internet and social media, people are finding ways to sort of mimic the in-person interactions, even if we're not able to fully replicate them and, and stay connected somehow. Yeah. And I think this is going to open doors for a lot of teletherapy services to be provided to populations that didn't have access before, including the rural populations. I live in Missouri, so most of Missouri is rural. Mm -hmm. And we have entire communities that don't have access to a speech language pathologist at all. And so if we can start you know, if this forces us to figure out how to do teletherapy better, there's going to be more opportunities and services available to the people in rural America and some of those areas who may not have access to therapists Mm -hmm. otherwise. So I think, you know, I think you're right there. This is a a terrible tragedy, but we've got to look for those silver linings. And this is one of them. So you've already mentioned the, the website, but could you, could you sum up where people can find you with the website or if there's also Instagram newsletter, things like that? Yeah. So speechandlanguagekids.com, that is our main website with a uh, bunch of free resources, lots of blog posts about how to teach different skills. So if you're looking for like, how do I teach my kid how to answer where questions, um, you can go on there and search for that. And then slpsolution.com is where our membership community is. So you can get on Mm -hmm. and get our digital resources. You can come on and ask questions. And we've got staff that answer questions in there. Um, And we've got training videos and webinars and stuff like that. That's over at slpsolution.com. And then we are on Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest as slpsolution. We also have a YouTube channel. I believe it's the same name. So you can just search for us on any of those platforms and you'll be able to find us there too. Perfect. And again, I'll, I'll link everything you've said to the, the podcast. And, and thank you for taking the time to, to hop on. I know a lot of people will take away some great information and great insight, especially with everything going on right now. So again, thank you so much, Carrie. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for listening to the AAK podcast. To keep up with all things AAK, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at at AAK Cares. For any questions or comments about the podcast, you can reach out to me through my email, which is linked in the podcast description. We appreciate you tuning in. Until next time. Thank you.